Welcome to the Maris Review. I am so delighted to be sitting here across from John, John Hodgman. It's hard I almost to say. Tr- I it's almost tried to, to call you. I mean, I guess that's why they call you Judge now, huh? Well, I have a podcast, <laughs> like everyone else, that is called Judge John Hodgman. But yes. it, all that has done is remind <laughs> I thought it was the greatest name for a podcast until I realized I don't have the greatest name. It's hard to say. Judge John Hodgman. Judge, judge, judge John Hodgman. Judge, 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 judge what most people call Hodgman. it. Yeah, it's hard. John okay. Hodgman. That's my okay. name. Okay. I feel I feel a little bit better then. Yeah. <laughs> Let me try that again. No, leave it okay. in. Okay, I'm gonna leave it in. Um, I'm gonna read a little bit about you for for the listeners who may not know, but like that's wild. You are a writer, comedian, and actor, and the author of the areas of my expertise, sound more like, information like an than accusation. you require. I am. I all right, I admit it, yes. I, and that is all and vacation land. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, we already mentioned your podcast, and you contribute a weekly column under the same name for the New York Times Magazine, and your latest book is called Medallion Status. All of this is true. Yes. Yes. I answer affirmatively to all of that. <laughs> okay, good. I wanted to talk to you first about the early days of uh, the 2000s. The early... We were just reminiscing before we went, yes. we went live on podcast. Yes. There. Yes. We were reminiscing about the early days of the 2000s when when you you had gone to the Radcliffe Publishing course. I sure did. Which was – does it still exist? It's now the Columbia Publishing course. Oh, interesting. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. They, they thought it might be wise to have the preeminent publishing – postgraduate publishing course in the in United States City. in New York City mm. instead of Cambridge. Mm-hmm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Radcliffe is definitely not there anymore. No. 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 But you were, you, were, you were graduated from the prestigious Radcliffe Publishing course yes. in 2000, which was the year that I left book publishing because I had worked in book publishing from 1994 until the year 2001, I guess, actually. I was going to say, I think yeah. there was a little overlap, a little overlap because I do believe that I was on a desk where someone wanted to, to give you a call at one point. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, very, at, very rare. At Free Press, Simon & Schuster. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Who were you working for? Rachel Clayman. Oh, sure. That's amazing. Yeah. I can't believe that. And Rachel Clayman wanted to call me? I think so. We must have, uh, must have been a mistake. <laughs> And, and so you were a writer. Maris, I, I need a wrong number. Get me John Hodgman. <laughs> I was then, at a literary agency called Writer's House. That's yeah. correct. Yeah. And you were you were working as an assistant. So I don't know very much about you. You have a whole sheet of information to confront confront me with. Well, yeah. But that's because it's my podcast. That's right. <laughs> so at the at the risk of boring your listeners, yes. so did you how how long did you work in book publishing? Or do you still work in book publishing? I don't even know the basics. I mean, I was at a publisher for seven years. Yeah. And then I was doing like book adjacent kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I count this as book adjacent. This is book adjacent. For uh, sure. I worked at Barnes and Noble you uh, did? in the corporate office. That was something. Something. For, for sure. I just came back from the Barnes and Noble uh, store managers conference in Orlando. Wow. What yeah. was that like? Oh, you didn't go? No. <laughs> Gosh, I never get the good invites, but that's what your book is about. <laughs> that's right. I get, oh, I get, I get, that's a really good segue, by the way. You're a, good, <laughs> you're a good podcaster. That's right. My book, Medallion Status, True Stories from Secret Rooms. Tell me about some of these secret rooms, like the Orlando. The, or, the Orlando Store <laughs> Managers Conference. Very, it's, it's very exclusive. So my, my, just so that people understand, I wrote, I, I, I wrote a book called Vacation Land that came out uh, two years ago that were, that unlike my previous books that had been very, arch and absurdist humor. These right. were just true stories that I had developed on stage in a sort of storytelling environment about 
my my life wandering the three wildernesses of Western Maine, excuse me, Western Massachusetts, coastal Maine, and Middle Age. And Maine is called vacation land. Mm-hmm. But then it came time for me to go back to work is at my job of being a very famous minor television personality. <laughs> and and these are stories about that work as a very famous minor television personality and all of the weird secret rooms and exclusive parties and first class lounges that even the minorist of fame weirdly admits you to. And then what it felt like to be kicked out of those rooms one by one <laughs> until I was no longer on television at all. And uh, realized I was not even as famous as the least famous dog on the internet. So... Oh, but I mean, it's, it's, pretty it's good really though. hard to compete with those dogs. No, they, that's the thing. I mean, that's... You chose... I mean, you talk about two corgis in, in your yeah, book, but... two famous corgis of Instagram, Chompers and Linus. And, and Chompers is a bigger star. It's, tr- it's true. Sorry, sorry Linus. <laughs> sorry, like, by, Linus. A, by a magnitude. Um, but they like each other. Oh, that's, I'm glad they got along. You know along. what I mean? Like, yeah. Linus is in the entourage. <laughs> Chompers, is, Chompers the corgi is a fairly famous... There are more famous corgis. And there are more. Fa- I mean, for sure. If you if you take the whole of of doghood, yeah, <laughs> there are some like real a listers. There are some real a list dogs. <laughs> there are a lot. There are a lot of corgis on Instagram that are that are competing for that corgi space. Yes. Do you know what I mean? I, I, and it's it's very low to the ground because <laughs> <laughs> they're little. They have little stunted legs. Yeah, and they don't seem mad about it at all. And um, I, I I follow a lot of pugs on Instagram. Right, because my, yes. you you have a pug. Yes, yeah, yes. And those I'm sure are fantastic follows. They're they're pretty great. They yeah. all, they always have the same expression. They look a little sad and mad, but uh, I know, right? That's so, <laughs> say, say the name of your pug again. Busy. Busy. That's right. Does Busy have a uh, an Instagram? Oh, she sure does. Busy the pug. What at How Busy did, the pug? Hang on, I got to sign up for that right now. <laughs> Well, it'll take too long. Was it going to break yeah, the we'll rhythm? Do, well, yeah. But yeah, so Corgi uh, Chompers is not the most famous Corgi. Right. He was just he's the he's the most famous one I know. Right. Because I was introduced to him at an exclusive party, and I was at this I was at this party at Adam Savage's secret workshop in San Francisco after yeah. San Francisco Sketchfest, and I was so excited to be there. I was like, I can't believe I get to hang around in this room full of Admiral Akbars and Chewbaccas, because <laughs> Adam does all this prop re- right, replication. Right, right. So he's you know he's made the He's made a perfect replica of the of the uh, Harrison Ford's blaster from Blade Runner, like six wow. times for himself and four times for others, like as gifts. Ooh, ten times! Yeah, he's got a whole R two D two in there. It's a real thing. Like That's you amazing. sit, you sit in Captain Kirk's chair from uh, Star Trek: The Original Series, and you know, you, you, and have a Corona, and you press a button or two, and it goes boop boop boop. It makes all the beep poop sounds. Ah, oh, that sounds like so much fun. And it was, it's great. And I was so excited to be there. And I look across the room, and there are these t- two people holding corgis, and everyone's going over to these corgis. <laughs> Why not? Because I mean, that's what you got to do, yeah. apparently. <laughs> and I was, I, I was, I was getting a little annoyed that the corgis were getting so much attention because that I don't like that. Mm-hmm. So I said to my friend Kevin Murphy, "Who are who are these creeps who brought corgis <laughs> to the party? They don't look like comedians to me. They don't look like famous people to me. They look like regular people with corgis." And he said, "Oh, well, the people weren't invited." <laughs> but the, the dogs Chomper, needed some Chompers and Linus were <laughs> And Kevin's Kevin's co- colleague Connor Lestoka I'll say his name First and last name Because I want him to own this For the rest of his life Was a big fan of these corgis On Instagram And knew that they were In San Francisco And he got invited to the party He invited them to the party Ooh what a, That's What a That's a power move Yeah right there. I know And I was like I just performed comedy <laughs> 
on stage on two legs. I can I can sweat out of my whole body, not just my tongue. And 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 these corgis probably don't even know who Admiral Akbar is, but they get invited to this nerd party, and I. So that's when I realized I don't know what entertainment is anymore. Sure, I mean, and um, I knew I knew I was on my way out of the game, and I so I put the corgis on the cover of Medallion Status because a it's a part of the, it's part of the story, mm-hmm. and b I want the book to sell. Yeah, you of put, course. I mean, you know yeah, what I mean? you got to put the good stuff right up front. Yeah. So I, we did. We put the plugs all up front. Everybody, we preloaded the show with the plug. Medallion Status, the book. Bit.ly slash Medallion Status. <laughs> Always be plugging. Bit. Ly. Capital M, capital E, capital D, capital A, capital L, capital L, capital I, capital O, capital N, capital S, capital T, capital A, capital T, capital U, capital S. I'm sorry I started that, but I had to finish it. That That's beautiful. And I love that you do it during the podcast. That, that well, what else am I supposed to do? I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, would you're sit down. podcast, I, too. Like, oh, I did it on my podcast. Yeah. yeah well, I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's a fast-moving window. Buy, buy the book. Attention is a fast-moving window. You can't mm-hmm. put out a tweet. And imagine that, you know, one person will see that, like however many followers you have, it's like two people are going to see that tweet and they're going to be like, oh, I'll forget about that. Mm-hmm. You got to keep, you got to hashtag always be plugging. Absolutely. But now I don't have to anymore because now I've I've preloaded it. Look, everybody, it's a good book. In, I, I, if you check it out, I think you'll enjoy it. It's got, it's got corgis yeah. on the cover. I, I also, I mean, one thing that I want to really talk to you about. But now is, we can talk about yeah. anything because we did all the business. Oh, yeah. Right. But the business is this is this is part of your book. As you know, I'm I'm married to a TV writer. Yes, I do know. And um, is this person named on the podcast? Yes, right? we can call him Josh. Josh. <laughs> but the first year we went to the Emmys, that really narrows it down yes, for TV writers. Yes, a Josh. Yeah. The first year we went to the yeah. Emmys was the year that The Daily Show won. Oh, right. So we got to that. That see the, you. well, the first year you went to the Emmys was the last year of the Daily Show right. with John Stewart. Right. Won for best variety, blah blah blah. Correct. It was the big award. And it was the, the big fi- award. and the last one for John. Mm-hmm. And I tell that story in the book Medallion Status. Bit.ly slash Medallion Status. Always be present. <laughs> so you were there. Did we meet then? You and I. I don't. I don't think, think I knew so. Josh at that time. I don't think so. Yeah. Um. But we. I mean, talk about. I was just a plus one. Yeah. But I got to be a part of the. The, spectacle. I know it's a real. The Emmys is a real spectacle, and one of the things that you know, I, I started getting invited to go along with the Daily Show because I, for those of you who don't know, I used to be an on-camera correspondent for the Daily Show for a number of years. After m- most of you probably know me from my time working at Writers House. Yeah, I mean that's <laughs> on twenty six on this on yeah. this podcast. Yeah, that's perhaps. right. You know, but uh, this is just a little uh, heads up to Rachel Clayman. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I actually did something after I left publishing. I worked on The Daily Show for almost almost 10 years, I mean, nine years. And uh, I started getting invited to go to the with them to the Emmys Awards like in 2008. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, part of – I talk a little bit how different the 2008 Emmys was versus the 2015 Emmys because uh, we started going before there was streaming content yeah. basically. And so anyway – if you want a little cultural history, check out Medallion Stats. But personally, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I took I took my wife. Uh, I have a, 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 a I'm married to a woman who's a whole human being, and also I refer to her as my wife because that's just the way it is. Good. And uh, her first name is Catherine. Excellent. And uh, yeah, it's so, solid, simple, and believable first name. Yeah. And she and she was at first very intimidated to go, and mm-hmm. we you know she declined to, but I walked the red carpet. 
And she met me at the other side. And by the time I had gotten to the other side, and I was I was astonished. Like I was there, just first of all, baking, like it's sweating so through, sweating five times through my tuxedo, and taking selfies and being photographed and being interviewed, and seeing like here's Bob Newhart all of a sudden yep. next to me. It was like a bizarre dream sequence where you're bumping into famous people, legends, and yeah. whatever. And and I was like, this is so this is so incredible. It's the most glamorous thing. I've ever experienced. And then I reached the end of the red carpet and Catherine's there waiting for me. She said, I'm not, I'm not nervous anymore. <laughs> she, um, she said, this is kind of junky. <laughs> I mean, she, that was not her word, but she was like, what, my, what I, why I'm no longer intimidated because I realized that like 40% of the people here are here for the first time. Yeah. Like she's watching actors because TV awards, Lots of those people are – this is their first job or their first big job. Yeah. You know what I mean? So they're just as starstruck as anyone else. I, I mean, certainly – Compared to the the Oscars, I think, where you have you know, people right, who are right, right. walking the red carpet of the Familiar Oscars are, with. are – Yeah. But in t- TV is still kind of a, 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 a junky suburb of entertainment. <laughs> and I do love that behind the red carpet, there's the other carpet – for the people who don't um, do the red carpet but still need to find a way into the theater, right? The the plus the plus ones, the, the plus ones, and if they had their preference, me. Like <laughs> they were constantly trying to shunt us off. And not just me. I'm talking about John Oliver. I'm talking about Rob Riggle. I'm talking about you know Sam B. Like they didn't want us on the red carpet. They were like, oh, like the I uh, Renata, the the Comedy Central publicity person yeah. who who was our our handler and she boy boy oh boy what a job she does it so amazingly mm-hmm. like she was getting into fights with people at the emmys who are like these passive aggressive emmys people who are like yeah so they can just go that way it's like no they're walking the red carpet oh uh let me check with someone they would touch their ear yeah. there was nothing in their ear <laughs> they'll be like um i'm hearing that they need to go that like they didn't want us on the red carpet we weren't big enough like people were were having people were nominated were trying to break onto the red carpet, oh, like wow. it was a heist. <laughs> that would be such. A it was like heist. a heist because we were all dressed really well. Right, right, you know? right. But anyway, oceans. Oh, yeah. Whatever number that would be. Right, o- oceans. The Daily Show. Oceans. The Daily Show. Right. So did you have a good? Did you have a good time at that Emmys? Well, I mean, so I know it's now fi- almost five years ago. So I've had a good time at You've every been, single one of yeah. those Emmys because. I watch a ton of TV. Yeah, right. And, you know, no one else has time to watch the amount of TV that I do. Right. They're all writing their TV shows. Right. So I love going and and gaping at people yeah. and taking some creep shots. Who and... was the person you were most excited to see in person at the Emmys? I mean, it's – so I have – I kind of have a list every year. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Your your hit list? My hit list. So I had – you know, it was Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Yeah. Henry Winkler. Yeah. Doesn't follow me on Twitter. Oh, no. Let's, okay. Let's hear, I want to hear the rest of the list. Um, who else? He's still my friend, okay? He's still my, I've, no, I love him. Okay, good. He, he unfollowed me. <gasps> he unfollowed you. Yeah. Who else That's on true. your list? This is just a tease. <laughs> keep, um, keep people listening. I mean, the cast of Succession this year was very Yeah, I, that's not a show that I've watched yet. It's, I, everyone's very excited about it. I'm very excited about yeah. it. And of course, Billy Porter from Pose. Yeah, of course. Just that's a presence. Okay. So Julie Louis-Dreyfus, Henry Winkler, Billy Porter, 
and the cast of Succession, how many did you get? All of them. You got them all? Uh-huh. And what does getting them mean? You spotted them? Spotted them. I mean- Interacted for, with them? Interacted with mm-hmm. with Julia yeah. and, and Henry. Oh, really? That's I'm, So one of That's the reasons exciting. that I loved your the, the stuff about your medallion status and, and staying in nice hotels and, and things like that is HBO puts us up with all the other people. Yeah. At the Four Seasons. Yeah. And it, so they're just around. <laughs> yeah, they're just wandering around. You know what you know what they're doing probably once a day? What? Pooping. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fa- yeah. Near fa- near me. Fame. I know, like maybe in the next room. And and you have this whole chapter sorry, about the I'm hotel you used that. to stay at? Yeah. So, you know, I as anyone who who knows what I look like understands, my on camera career was implausible. Not impossible. Okay. Just unlikely. Sure. And that changed because I went on The Daily Show to promote my first book, The Areas of My Expertise. And um, and John and I hit it off. And um, soon after that, they asked me if I wanted to be a contributor on the show, which I was like – I was thrilled because yeah. I just had written a book and I didn't think that it was going to sell. And I was correct – until I went Until, on The Daily Show. Right, right, right. Because the areas of my expertise, my first book, unlike Medallion Status and Vacation Land, which are uh, very straightforward personal essays, right. first-person essays that are entertaining, funny, dare I say profound? I dare. <laughs> I cried. Incredibly, incredible. Thank- oh, thank you very much. Well, I didn't mean to make it cry. <laughs> but yes, very, you know, em- emotional at times. Yeah. And very relatable, as yes. any book about a guy who has two summer homes can be, mm-hmm. and also stays in luxury hotels, mm-hmm. you know. But, um, you, you know, from the moment that I – my first book was extremely arch and absurdist sort of meta comedy. And most people didn't I, – I even knew at the time that people – there a lot of people just not know on which side to fall on this thing. Like, <laughs> they might be tempted to think, this might be really funny, but it's weird. And they needed someone to tell them it's okay to like it. And John did, thank the great and empty void. I'm because, I mean, when you're presented with a list of hobo names, you know, it's it's tough. Yeah, to I did. Know I did. To... Right. That, well, that's exactly so. I mean, I I wrote uh, include like my book was a book of tr- historical trivia that was most of which was made up by me. So instead of the nine U.S. presidents who had um, were addicted to cigars, it would be the nine U.S. presidents who had hooks for hands secretly. And, <laughs> And at some point, my friend Sam Potts, who designed the book, actually, is my high school friend, gave me a new I loved weird ephemera. This is my book. That book was a riff on all of the weird ephemeral old cookbooks that I collect mm-hmm. and like strange. Like I have a – I know we'll do book reviews later, but um, uh, the I have a, a little a little pamphlet on my bedside table uh, called The Meats of the Amish. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's – is there anything surprising in there? Well, no, it's just recipes oh, for okay. different kinds of okay. like scrapple and mm-hmm. like it may not just be it may not just be a meat focused, but it's a little cookbook for, of Amish recipes, including a disgusting recipe for scrapple, which we can talk about later. Yeah, also in your book. Also in my book. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> so he had given me a book called Seven Hundred Sandwiches, just because it was the most hilarious title that we could think of, and then at one point. I was working on this book. I'm like, what if I did a list of, what if I did a list of uh, fake hobo nicknames? Because I was doing a whole thing about the hobos of the Great Depression, which was a, you know, people 
would might might understandably misconstrue the hobo humor in my book as being making fun of the homeless, right. the contemporary homeless, but it wasn't. It was talking specifically about a generation of men who voluntarily left their homes <laughs> right. to ride the rails and work as itinerant workers. Mm-hmm. And they were called hobos and they had a very distinct culture in their own hieroglyphic language. They would leave little symbols for each other as they passed through town. Right. So you knew like what what ha- what's a good house to tr- sort of like – there's one symbol that's like religious talk will get you a hot meal here. That kind of, they would just chalk it yeah. on the side of yeah, someone's yeah. house. And they all had nicknames like Frypan Jack or like <laughs> Steel Rails McGee or whatever. And I'm like, that's funny. What if I did a list of them of just in- increasingly absurd hobo nicknames? And then I remembered that book. I was like, what if it's a 700 hobo names? <laughs> Ambitious, so ambitious. And I thought that it would be a visual, a visual gag, <laughs> in a literary context. In right. other words, I would start listing the names, and then the list would continue in the margin of the book until it was done. <laughs> so I did like five full pages of hobo nicknames, and that only got me to about three hundred. Wow. And the and then the rest just carried over, like infecting the rest of the book with this absurd. Experiment in and ma- in, in frankly in madness until I got to seven hundred. But then, but then you also recorded the audiobook, R- right? And then I had to record. I had to read them all in, <laughs> in one take, and it was it was maddening for me, but worse for my friend Jonathan Colton, who I forced Aww. to play Big Rock Candy Mountain on the guitar <laughs> behind me over and over and over again. Like it's like looping technology existed. I don't know why why we did oh, it that that's way. Very yeah. Funny. But Kept in any it. case, like if you're still confused about what we're talking about, this is the Marist Review. I'm John Hodgman. We're talking about <laughs> my eleven year old book, The Areas of My Expertise, Seven Hundred Hobo Names. If you're still confused, I don't blame you. It's confusing. Like I could understand why human beings might look at a thing and go, I don't know what this is and it's not for me. So John, so John Stewart and and Ben Carlin was the executive producer at the time who all you know also advocated for me to come on the show um gave people permission to like you know people need permission to like something weird. Mm-hmm. And and you know John gave people permission to like me yep. and changed my life really dramatically. Mm-hmm. And obviously putting me on camera um was weird even before I had this terrible beard. <laughs> And now it's all—it's also a controversial choice, and, and one that people have to come around to when it happens. But it did—it also, in, in, you know, led me into this strange life of being somewhat famous. For a brief time, I was pretty—I was pretty famous because of the Apple ads that I was on, yes. Justin Long, those were seen by a lot of people. And one of the things I learned that was different about being known for being on television. Versus being a little bit known for having written a book, right, uh, or or doing a couple of you know radio shows. I, I did some contributions to This American Life, right, and I had a little bit of a I had a little bit of an oddball following via the the McSweeney's mm-hmm. uh, 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 moment of the late '90s, early 2000s. It's a good moment, but it was a great moment. It's a moment that continues. It's still out there. They're still they're still they doing still it. Are. Yeah, McSweeney's.net <laughs> is the name of the website. But um, when people see you after you've been on television, I mean, people didn't know my name from the Apple ads. Mm-hmm. All they saw was a weird TV ghost walking around in their <laughs> world. It's like you shouldn't exist. Like the, the look on people's faces, like the, was was one of shock. was one of shock because they're seeing someone that they recognize very distinctly 
in a context that that should not be, like me leaving an airport bathroom, or, right, right, or going into one. And uh, like the PC poops, what? <laughs> and it, rarely it, in an airport, though. Rarely would I do that. In an okay, right. I mean, just, I mean, whatever emergencies you have to do. only, right? Yeah. Um, Look, I'm not going to sacrifice myself, but anyway. And the truth, the truth is, I hadn't even considered that you know, this book is about your your fame waxing and waning, and yeah. I live in Brooklyn, John. Yeah, right? <laughs> You're still... In Brooklyn, I'm still... <laughs> you couldn't poop anywhere in Brooklyn without I, someone getting... I think people would pretty ex- be pretty excited if I pooped in the middle of 7th Avenue. <laughs> I'll say that. That might get a little he- bit of a headline mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, right? But if I if 7th Avenue in Manhattan, no one would Oh, notice. yeah, that would be... No one would care. Yeah. yeah no or like care. Max Fun Con, I imagine. That... Max Fun Con... I don't want. I'm. I don't know what I can tell you about Max. This Maximum Fun is my podcast network. Yeah. Judge John Hodgins, my podcast there. And every year, Jesse Thorne, the 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 owner and sort of the guru of the network, invites a bunch of podcasters and listeners to a top of a hill in Lake Arrowhead, California, and uh, for a weekend. And it's wild. I mean, yeah, there's some pooping going on. <laughs> How. How do you determine? Well, the, the, yeah. the point of it yeah. is the point of it is that that I got I got kidnapped into this world right. that I was not supposed to be in. Right, and uh, it's an incredibly interesting world to be a tourist in, as you experience. Yes, you know what I mean. To my my I, I had my stake in my work, of course. Yes, you were an active participant in it. But I also knew how unlikely it was at thirty four, thirty five years old. To be suddenly, you know, zapped into this alternate reality, and I was always ready to get zapped back out of it, right? Until I wasn't, and that's exactly when it happened. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm not. Enti- I mean, obviously, I still work and do stuff. But yes. Yeah. Stuff. Once the once the Daily Show in particular ended, it really marked a, a chapter in my life. Mm-hmm. That uh, that that did feel like that was the coming, the the end of a long of a of a road. You know. So that's what medallion status is about. And and certainly this past time, this past Emmy's uh, visit to L.A. Yeah, you just got back, you, right? You just got back. And I went partially because yeah. I don't know when I'm going to fly first class again. Yeah, right? And it's just like you have to. You can't miss an opportunity. No. So medallion status specifically for those of you who don't fly the same airline I fly, <laughs> which I don't name it in the book. I call it Beloved Airlines because – I'm not getting any money from them, so I don't want to. But between you, me, and the and the Maris Review, it's Delta. It's yeah, a Delta yeah, thing, yeah. and as and they have a sick addictive video game, which is their their uh, mm. customer loyalty program. You know, so you you accrue miles that you can then spend on half a ticket to Toledo or something, but you also accrue medallion qualifying miles, and the and which are a separate whole separate accounting of quote unquote miles that you that you earn as you travel, and you get more if you travel. First class or premium economy or whatever, right? right? So it's all gross. And as you reach certain benchmarks uh, in in spending and miles, you get awarded a totally metaphoric medallion, (laughs) starting starting with silver, which I don't like to talk about as garbage medallion, then gold, then platinum, Mm. and then what I learn about in the book, there's diamond. There's diamond. Everybody's going for diamond. (laughs) So uh, and but you know I a lot of the time right before the Daily Show ended, 
I was flying back and forth across the country all the time in first class because I was working for this TV show called Married, which was a very fun opportunity yes. for me to work and be embarrassed and learn and fly <laughs> and you know disappoint my family and <laughs> hurt the feelings of my children because I was never around. They had just reached that age where it mattered that I was Aww. around. And so it was a, it was very stressful, and but I was I unknowingly was accruing all of these status miles. So yeah, and How I was and I, and I was living in this uh, this alternate reality of plane travel, which is you know the the first first class compartment, and um, that's the thing about flying first class. Most people don't don't buy it; they, it gets bought for them. Yes, they go by accident or they get bumped up. Yes. Uh, and when you get put in first class for the first time, your your whole mind changes immediately. Like your mind yeah. reshapes itself. It, yeah, it's great. It's it's a, you don't hurt at the end of the trip. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's kind of a pleasure. And you know, the there are nice seats. They kind of turn into beds that mm-hmm. feel a little bit like coffins, but that's fine. I'm not mm-hmm. complaining. Mm-hmm. You get a little you get a little sleep mask. Yeah, maybe you get some little socks. footy socks. Yeah. But the most important thing, of course, is that they're they are acknowledging that you're a human being. Right. They treat you like a, a baseline human being, and they have given you a seat that accommodates a baseline human being, which none of those other seats do. No. And once your human body fits into that human seat, all of the all of the the surprise and I I'm so lucky. Do I deserve this? Very quickly fades away, and by the time. Yeah. By the time you land, you're like, of course I deserve this. I deserve this for the rest of my life, and I need to get back here as quickly as possible. Why are we here? Why am I getting off the plane? I, I have no idea. <laughs> and again, you I probably was just you the, probably didn't feel that you deserve. Like, I didn't feel like I deserved it, no. but I but I certainly felt like there's no better um, representation of the way class works yeah. in America than getting on an airplane. Yeah. Say more about that, Maris. <laughs> no, you do. Why? I already wrote about it in my book. Yeah. Well. No, but I mean, the, the what I learned, what I learned, and I and I, yeah. I think we're talking the same language here, mm-hmm. is that first class as a as a metaphor for status of all kinds, whether that is, you know, class status, fame status, right, uh, patriarchy status, um, just generational wealth, whatever it is. Most of the time you get status, it's it's by chance or happy right. accident. Right. People who have status, though, do not want to believe that it's by chance or happy accident. They have to they believe that they deserve it. Yes. And the people who don't have it didn't work hard enough mm-hmm. or weren't canny enough to get their mm-hmm. butts into first class. And, of course, like all status, you have to be seen having it. So that's why, except for, for a few planes, and this is changing, but traditionally – right. You know, you board first class first, and then everyone has to march. Looks at you. Yeah, everyone else has to march by you as you're sipping your, you know, uh, Mr. and Mrs. T. Bloody Mary mix. Mm. The, and they haven't even sat down yet, and you're already into into your Bloody Mary mix. And uh, and you look at them, and they look at you, and that's and that makes you feel like a whole human being for a second oh. um, until the plane lands. And you know, th- th- being in first class and the arbitrariness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the seductiveness of it really taught me a lot about what how dangerous status is as an addiction, mm-hmm. um, and it drives a lot of what's going on, you know, in in our whole world. 
And, yes. And, you know, the most dangerous people are the people who have status, you know, think they deserve it and cannot ever afford to lose it and will do ter- terrible, terrible things to maintain it. Speaking of, I really enjoyed your chapter on the Scientology building and Mar-a-Lago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I I get into a lot of secret rooms in this book, including a Yale, <laughs> a Yale secret society and a, a number of other sort of secret meetings and this exclusive hotel that I got to stay at. I got to peer into a lot of airplane lounges, got to peer into a lot of a lot of places where I I I wasn't I wasn't supposed to be, mm-hmm. uh, and was only tentatively a guest at best. Right. But then there are two two secret rooms that I tried relatively hard to get into, <laughs> and they were both in Florida. And one was I was I was this is a totally normal sentence to say I was on tour with the Boston Pops in Florida yes. doing com doing a comedy narration for the Boston Pops, and uh, and my friend David Reese had joined me because I didn't want to ride around in the tour bus with the all the musicians because I didn't know them. And I guessed and guessed correctly that they partied too hard. <laughs> so the violins. violins go hard. Violins yeah. go but not as hard as the brass section. <laughs> they they turn those instruments into bongs. Yes. That's incredible. At, after hours. <laughs> it's a wild scene on the road with Boston Pops. But we were on the I was on the road with the Boston Pops in Florida and and David really wanted to sneak into the flag land base, which is the Onshore headquarters, uh, worldwide headquarters of Scientology, the Church of Scientology, a major world religion. Mm-hmm. And then also we were going to Palm Beach and he really wanted to go into Mar-a-Lago. And one thing I learned, <laughs> I won't, I mean, I won't, I'll spoil this much. Yeah. I did not get arrested. <laughs> That's good. I did not make it into either of them. But this, the, it, the, the story is the telling, not the destination. Mm-hmm. It's the journey, not the destination, as they say. But I will say I did learn that uh, Scientology has much better security than the Winter White House, by far. And yeah, I imagine it's still like that, right? <laughs> like, well, David, Dave, in the in the in the story, David is trying to convince me that we can get into Mar-a-Lago, and you know, I'm I'm just I'm literally along for the ride. He's driving, <laughs> and they're going like, I don't want to why? I just like I don't want to hurt myself emotionally by yeah. seeing that place. Yeah. He's like, don't you think that if we just dressed as creepy, tasteless billionaire dopes or servants, we could just walk in there? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think so. I mean, I don't I don't like it any more than you do, but he's technically the president of the United States. I don't think you can walk in there, especially since he was going to be there. It was a Super Bowl Sunday in February right. of 2017. And we knew that he was going to be watching the Super Bowl there. And in fact, initially we were turned away. But then we went back. That's another story, which you can read in Medallion Status. <laughs> but since then, it's happened. I mean, he yeah, was ab- David was absolutely happened. right. Yeah. Yeah. There was that one woman who dressed like a socialite and-, and walked in with a purse full of malware and, <laughs> and like poisonous uh, thumb drives. And then some other like f- frat bro walked in looking like a pool boy. And they're just like, come on in. Smart Lago. Never happened with the Scientologists. I know. You know what I think is a plausible possibility at this point? What's that? Don't you think that Donald Trump, after hearing this podcast, because I know he listens. yeah. Don't you think he might hire the Sea Org to be his new personal imperial guard? That would be a smart move. Right? Then you get... Tom Cruise in your back pocket, and uh... I don't know. I mean, I I don't. The Sea the Sea Org is they were tough, man. They were tough. They were tough. 
Yes, I remember reading. Um, You're trying to tie it back to something, Maris. You're no, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just talking about uh, Lawrence Wright's. Oh, going clear. Going clear. Yeah. And all of the the terrible things. Every, I think every day is for me is a struggle, not to just pick that book up and read it again. I, <laughs> it was just one of those ones where like keep it coming, keep it coming, more, more, more. So many quotable lines. Yeah. Yeah, such a strange, I mean, such a strange and implausible story. Stranger than fiction, as you may say. Yes. And, I mean, you know, same, same, I know at some point you asked me to recommend some books. Yes, that could be now. And it's always challenging for me because I do read books. Yes. <laughs> okay. They're not always books that I can recommend because... Sometimes they're ju- they're junky old sure. mystery novels that I'm just using to put myself back to sleep. Mm-hmm. And really the major – I wish it were a novel, but the major sort of combination of um, thriller, tragedy, mm-hmm. uh, uh, fantasy, sci-fi, sci-fi multi-generational – novel of uh of amb- of ambition greed character flaw uh and with the highest stakes possible is the novel i'm reading is the trump administration i just read it right. every day i read it every day i love it and i and i wish i wish it were just something to read yes. instead of something to suffer because especially i am not suffering particularly you know but uh, but it's it's something that i cannot this is what makes this is why he is so he is unfathomable and the human mind wants to fathom another human mind, and he his actions betray a mind that is totally resist totally resistant to fathomableness. I love how in the book, because Josh gets this question a lot too, like yeah. why is there no right wing version of the Daily Show? Oh, right, yeah. And we didn't know. You make such a good point. It's just like a long, long Andy Kaufman kind of thing that Trump is doing here. Yeah, the first the, I was in a I was in a, a jeep driving from a wedding in Cape Cod with John Glazer, who had been a guest at the wedding, the amazing comedian John Glazer. Yes, uh, and and uh, and maker of things and friend and also a Brooklyn guy. That's why he was catching a ride back to Brooklyn with me. <laughs> But and it was in that it was in that car, that Jeep, I should say, because the roof was off and we could barely hear each other. But I, I don't remember whether it was him or me who wondered whether Donald Trump might actually be Andy Kaufman. Probably was him. Probably he put that in my mind. So, but it's but but I am the one. I will take. I mean, it's in your book. I will take credit for this. Not I, other people had can can compared Donald Trump to Andy Kaufman as doing this long-form anti-comedy character work. Mm-hmm. Like that he is sort of like, I can't remember the name of the awful character that Andy Kaufman, the awful lounge singer. Right. People are yelling at this podcast now. Yes. That, well, comedy put in nerds the notes. are so mad. Yeah. Can't remember. Anyway, I'm old. I'm, old. I'm an elderly person. I can forget things. But I am the one who, who, who realized as I was, you know, Thinking about that final Emmys and John Stewart being asked, like, would you come back if Donald Trump, you know, were wins the nomination, were elected president? He said, No, I will not. I was like, Of course not. I mean, what can I, I my whole my whole bit on the Daily Show is yeah. the deranged millionaire was 
a direct riff on the fact that Donald Trump Could was not. allowed to wander onto news sets and <laughs> and you know talk about conspiracy theories because he's a, 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 a probably rich older white dude who wanted to talk right now and it was just like and I said to John we need that guy on the show yes and they agreed and then I became this imitation Donald Trump. And then I realized I, I can't do any comedy that's going to compete with the long form improv this guy's been doing his entire life. He it's doesn't really know himself. Off. Like that's why he's so deep in character because he doesn't know who he is. Mm-mm. And it, it, it occurred to me that, you know, we had always been asked, where is the right wing, The Daily Show? Yeah. And we had always been so smug. Like there's no such thing as conservative comedy because conservative, conservatism is defined by authoritarian. You know, right. it's it's humorless and authoritarian and dull. Right. And humor is subversive by nature, you would think. I mean, that's sort hope. of you yeah. would hope. That it that it ha- that it has a like meep meep kind of quality to it <laughs> that makes it much more congruent with, you know, liberal politics than it is with conservative politics. Correct. But we were also we were also glib and smart and also dumb. We we're mm-hmm. so dumb. Because we didn't realize that Donald Trump was the right wing Daily Show, because, and that and that the and that the comedy he was doing was far more sophisticated than we imagined the right wing Daily Show would ever be. Yes. Like we didn't see it coming that it would be this Andy Kaufman esque, like Andy Kaufman esque anti comedy of a guy doing a character with ever without ever breaking character to create a. A, an entirely new definition of entertainment product called the Trump candidacy uh, that didn't have to have a television show. Like everyone was trying to figure out how do we make a television show when there isn't television anymore? He's like, how about I just have everything? Yeah. I'll be on every show. All the things. I'll be on, I'll be on Twitter. I'll be on all the platforms. I'll be on all the streams. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be bigger than the most famous Corgi on the internet. <laughs> and it would be a, and, and, to turn and then to win, which was not even something he wanted to do and to turn our entire culture into this massive immersive theater experience that, you know, uh, you know, that was MAGA themed Mm -hmm. and was the shape of the whole United States. So good job. Yeah. Yeah. Last week tonight did a whole um, show about how they had to give it to Trump that sometimes he is funny. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which just, ah. <laughs> no, and I think there's, I don't think that there's, look, I, you know, I do my imitation of stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. I can, I can, I can tell a story on stage. I, I've, I've been, I've been around the block. I've been both on, I've, I've seen a lot of great stand-up comedy and I've imitated a lot of great stand-up comedy. <laughs> so I know what I'm seeing. And I don't think there's any stand-up who is looking at one of Trump's rallies who doesn't know he's. He's got the chops. You can't control a room like that if you don't have the chops. Right. And, you know, I'm not saying that this, the, the humor is particularly sophisticated. No. And obviously the message is Bad. abhorrent <laughs> and dangerous. Yes. But he's got timing. Mm-hmm. On that note. Yeah. <laughs> Fun, let's, right? Let's talk about books because that's something he, I don't think he would talk about. No, but maybe I'm like, like maybe I'm more like Trump than I think because like all he thinks about is Trump too. <laughs> Well, then we all are. I know, right? There's some amazing coasters in the studio. Yes, there are. Uh, yeah, let's talk about books. What are you reading? Well, right what now- What have you read? I've you read like? a lot. I've read what a lot have, of books. Please list all of the books that you've read. Just I, here right now. Yeah. I, uh, here's, here's what I have to say. Yes. 
Uh, I've been in a little bit of a drought, mm-hmm. a book drought recently. Mm-hmm. I was I was uh, I was up in in Maine over the summer where we spend part of our lives, and I read my uh, uh, I read my traditional Stephen King novel that I haven't read before. This was Needful Things, very long book, very enjoyable, excellent. But if I were going to recommend a Stephen King right now to anyone in the world, Cujo, number one. Cujo number one. Number one with a bullet. Best. Okay. Not not only a great. I mean, he's he's a, a tremendous writer. Yes, I mean, he line is. by line, he's incredible. yes, he is. And um, and one of the things that makes him so tremendous too is that he he is narratively ambitious. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means you have a, a book that is a thousand pages long when it could be maybe nine hundred. Sure. Let's say you know, okay. but he's trying things out. He's mm-hmm. improvisational. But you know, not a lot of writers would would like tell a tell a switch to the point of view of a rabid dog, <laughs> and start talking in rabid dog talk, or even pre rabid dog talk, like like the Cujo when you te- when you read the Cujo sections from Cujo's point of view, yeah. it's like what this is. Are you kidding me? It's like he's now he's <laughs> he's not driving the car anymore. He's standing on top of the car. Come come back in here. You can't you can't tell a point of view from a dog chasing a rabbit. Wow. And in like dog talk. Right. You know, like Cujo right, was a good boy. He didn't want to chase the rabbit, which, of course, is the story of the the story of Cujo is he chases a rabbit down a hole, gets bit by a rabbit bat, and then, and then causes all, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And that's the thing that makes Cujo such such a terrifying book is that it has no villain because even Cujo didn't want to be. It's just this monster. it's just this this uh, uh, they're they're small small bad decisions that are made for perfectly reasonable. Reasons, perfectly understandable reasons, that cascade into one of the most horrifying experiences and outcomes. And yet, even though it's devastating, it has a a, a kind of happy ending that is perfect, but not for who you want the happy ending. Ooh. Yeah, this is. I read Cujo. I read Cujo in a tent in the middle of the night. In Maine, because I couldn't sleep because I was in a tent. I was like, I did not expect this to be one of the great novels. Like, I was not going to expect it to have the symmetries that it has between these two. It's a story of two families and and their fatal entwinement. And one of them is a a native Maine family and one of them is a from away family. So there's all this stuff tied up in that. It's boy. it's, It's like me. I'm constantly reaching for Cujo. Constantly reaching, <laughs> constantly reaching for Nora Jemison. Do you read N.K. Jemison? No, the Broken Earth trilogy. I haven't read the Broken Earth trilogy. Yeah, I it's terrific. I highly recommend. And it. you hosted the Hugos when you? I hosted the Nebulas. Oh, the Nebulas. I, thank God I didn't host the Hugos. Yes. All right. Let's, okay, that's a whole other n- nerds. Nerds will know. Nerds will know. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that was that. That was a few years ago now, but I'm still in love with the authors that I discovered because of that experience. Because I hadn't read. I'm a big nerd for movie and television type fantasy stuff and science fiction stuff, but I had only done my due diligence right. in in the book world of fantasy and science fiction. I didn't know I didn't know what was going on in this world until I was asked to host the Nebula Awards, and I was like, I'd better bone up. Sure. So I read Ken Liu, I read Anne Leckie, I read mm. Nora Jemison, and I I just couldn't. All of those books were a thousand pages long, and I'm just like, keep it coming, keep it coming, because they're not only fun to read. And intellectually provocative, but you know they're redefining 
the genre and challenging. Like, yeah. Did you read um, Ancillary Justice by Anne Leckie? No. It's told, wow. from, it's told from the point of view of an artificial intelligence that can uh, inhabit one of thousands of bodies that it that has it ha, it's a it's the AI of a spaceship. Wow. And then and then it has thousands of soldiers in the spaceship that are like these sort of uh, automatons that the AI controls. And it, so it, scenes are being told from five different perspectives because the AI that doesn't think of itself as anything but an AI, sure, you know, is watching the same scene from five different bodies at the same time. And the it, it's it's it, the AI exists in this universe. There are humans in this universe, but it's a culture that doesn't recognize gender. So there are two genders, at least. Right. But it doesn't recognize a difference. I know that from Le Guin. Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's an homage. <laughs> yes. So every character in it is a she. And then the AI loses the the ship and all of her bodies but one. And it's suddenly a singular oh. a singular body for the first time Caught in its experience, in her experience. And then she just and then it's a murder mystery. Love it. Okay. <laughs> so she inv- she's investigating the murder of herself. I am putting all of this in the show notes so that I can catch up. And Ken Liu has to finish the third book of the the Dandelion. Did you read those? No, I have it on my shelf, though. Does that count? No, it doesn't count. (laughs) Those were – so I – you know, this is what a dum-dum I am. But it's it's an epic trilogy set in in a alternate world that is unlike almost all fantasy which tends to be themed medieval england themed yes is uh, is uh, game of mi- thrones mid- yeah right game of thronesland mm-hmm. it's like um i i don't know which which period of chinese history that it is sort of a riff on but whereas game of thrones is kind of a riff on the 100 years war can lose the dandelion dynasty sequence can't look it up from the show yeah, notes. We're, well, it'll be the Grace the of notes. Kings is the second book, I think, or maybe the first. But he's got a third one coming out. It's incredible. It's great. John, thank you so much. Thank you. I'm sorry if we went over. That's okay. Bit.ly slash medallion status. <laughs> check Buy out it. Check out the Maris Review. <laughs> check out the show notes. Judge John Hodgman Podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Maris Review. And check the show notes for the books we discussed on here today. And please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.